Well, Matt, thank you very much indeed for reading that. That's a great help. And um, just to add to Ben's comments about the QR code. So um, if you open up your service sheets, you'll see on the third side, there's a, uh, there's a QR code there. If you want to um, just take a photo of that or, or it, sort of open your photo app and look at it uh, with your smartphone, and then uh, it'll send you to a link. And that's how you can uh, send questions onto my, uh, onto my phone. I will be answering those a little bit later on. Um, so do send those in as I'm speaking and um, uh, it'd be great to, to receive those. Um, I mean, how the early church managed without such technology, I don't think, I don't think we'll ever know. Good. Well, in the meantime, we're on page 1162 in the Red Bible, starting at chapter 6, verse 3 of 2 Corinthians, uh, in our series, The Gospel According to Weakness. And it would be good just as we begin to pray for our time together. So let's pray. Let's pray together. Uh, Father God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Uh, you are our uh, portion and our delight. You're our shield and our very great reward. And uh, your name is the only name by which we can be saved. And so we thank you, Father God, that you're our father. Thank you that you call us um, sons and daughters. Thank you that we're your temple and that you're walking among us. And um, I pray that we would know that you're our God and that we're your people. And so I pray, Father, that you will bring about life change um, this afternoon as we, uh, as we gather around your word. And and we pray all these things in your name, Father God. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, there's a, there's a saying in politics, I don't know what you think about it. Um, you can see it up on the screen. It was originally said by someone called Violetta Chamorro, who was the president of Nicaragua. Have a think about this. Uh, you can see it up there. Reconciliation is more beautiful than victory. It's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? Uh, particularly from a politician. Reconciliation is more beautiful than victory. And um, if you're around last week, you'll know that um, Nathan taught us about a very, very significant reconciliation. Have a look just back to chapter 5, verse 20. It's the left-hand column, page 1162. Have a look just at the last five lines of chapter 5. And this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. He's writing a letter to them. And uh, Paul's already said he's an ambassador. Uh, to the Corinthian church. He's reaching out, he's sent by God to them and he's got an important message and this is what he says. Um, just halfway through um, chapter 5 verse 20. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him, that's um, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And perhaps if you were here last week, you'll have, um, you'll have seen me and Patrick wearing uh, the, the um, white and black T-shirt. And, and the black T-shirt represented the things that we've done wrong, the ways that we've uh, failed ourselves, and, and more importantly, uh, rejected God. Jesus took all of those onto himself. But, but not only that, uh, if, if we ask him to do that, not only that, but... But he is prepared to give us his perfect life, in effect, so that we're counted as completely righteous. So reconciliation is more beautiful than victory. You know, and, and we were never going to win the victory against God. It was arrogant to think that we could. But God has reconciled himself to us in the cross of Jesus Christ uh, when he died at a point in history, nailed to a piece of Roman timber. Um, that was how God reconciled us. 
uh, with him or gave us the opportunity to be reconciled with him. And, and if you're not yet a Christian, I would love for you to know that this is what lies right at the heart of the Christian message. You know, if, 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 you, if you're sitting there tonight and thinking, I haven't really understood this or I haven't really sort of personally trusted in it, then we've got a course starting in the new year. It's called Hope Explored. And uh, we'd love you to sign up for that. Just send me an email. You'll find my email address on the back of the service sheet, jeremy at trinityassington.org, and, uh, and we'll reserve your place. But as we finish this, this first section of the letter, um, chapters 1 to 6, we're finishing that section of the letter this afternoon. Paul really gets to the heart of what he wants to say, what he's been building up to for these six chapters and that is that he longs in the light of God's reconciliation that he's offering to every single person here on earth that Paul just longs for that reconciliation to happen between the Corinthian church and him a, a sort of heartfelt reconciliation between the apostle and the church that he planted and <clears throat> all he's saying is that if they're going to be reconciled to God then they're going to have to be reconciled to him so have a look down at chapter 6, verse 11, have a look down at that. It's such emotional language that Paul uses as he writes to the, to the Corinthian church. This is what he says, chapter 6, verse 11. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and open wide our hearts to you. Verse 12, we're not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. You see that sort of appeal? Um, from Paul to the Corinthian church to be reconciled with him. Or have a look down right at the end, at the end of the second section, that happens in chapter 7, verse 2. Have a look across at that. This is what he says. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. And, and, and what Paul is saying really is that the, the space between the Corinthian church and Paul is the space between them and God. If they're going to be reconciled to God, they'll need to be reconciled to, to the Apostle Paul as well. And specifically, there were two things that had got into that space between the Corinthian church and Paul. Two things that had interrupted that relationship. And uh, issue one is what ministry should look like. What ministry should look like. Um, should it look uh, neat and tidy and successful and strong and impressive? Uh, like the new leaders who come along in Corinth, you remember? Uh, they turned up and, and sort of taken over. Should it look like that? Or should it look weak and, and awkward and suffering and defeated and struggling? Like, like the Apostle Paul. Do you remember he was the Apostle who, who didn't want to live anymore? He was the, um, the Apostle chapter one um, who despaired of, of life itself can you imagine hearing that from one of our missionary partners you wouldn't hear it would you that was the first issue what ministry should look like and here's the second issue which is what the life of a christian should look like um should it be um sort of relaxed and, and permissive and tolerant and laid back like the new leaders in corinth were saying you know if it feels good then then, then do it that's fine um, god's not bothered or should it look godly and sincere and committed and Christ-like, as Paul was saying? And you might remember he was the um, apostle who went to Corinth on a painful visit, really to sort of confront the church about some of the ways that they'd gone wrong. And then he wrote them a painful letter, you, you might know, because 
The Apostle Paul knew the importance of transformation in the Christian life. He believed in life change. So two things, the kind of leaders you follow and the kind of lifestyle that you lead. And those are two of the most critical things um, in the experience of the Christian life in the here and now. These are things that, that matter to us, don't they? I mean, they're important to us. And Paul's going to deal with them both before he finishes this, this section in chapter 7, verse 2. First point then, from chapter 6, verses 3 to 13, and uh, we're sort of summarising it like this. You'll see it up on the screen. A ministry that won't be discredited. A ministry that won't be discredited. Uh, there was a time when we were at another church, not this church here, and um, uh, not not with not with people that you know. And um, people were very affectionate, um, but they had quite strong opinions. And there was a lady who, who came up to Dawn, and and she said, uh, she says to Dawn, um, now I've realised something about you, Dawn, and that's that you're a little bit of a of a desperate person. <laughs> Um, it's hard to know how to respond to that, isn't it? Um, you're a bit of a desperate person. But you can imagine that the, the new leaders who turn up in Corinth and taken over, you can imagine them saying that Paul's a bit of a desperate person. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's travelled around the, the Mediterranean, he's planted small and weak and, and suffering churches and, and he's been persecuted. It doesn't look terribly impressive. Um, but have a look down at, at chapter 6, verse 3, um, just to the end of that verse, and you'll see that Paul says that his, um, that his ministry won't be discredited. This is what he says. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. He's got a ministry that won't be discredited. Um, and, and why not? Um, well, because he's been through, um, he's endured all the way through nine hardships. So have a look at at, um, at the end of verse four. These are the kind of things that he's kept going through um, in, in his ministry. So troubles, hardships, distresses, beating, imprisonments, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. <clears throat> it's like, um, so like Paul's been keeping a, a, a sort of vlog of his travels, I think that's what people do nowadays. They sort of travel abroad and then they sort of post vlogs about how their um, how their travels are going. You can imagine Paul vlogging his first missionary journey. Um, so you know, day one, uh, I'm here in uh, I'm here in Antioch, uh, and uh, I've been teaching people about Jesus, and um, I've been reviled and I've been driven out. Uh, and then uh, a few days later, uh, his second vlog. In, uh, in Iconium, uh, he said, yeah, um, uh, hi guys, you know, great to see you. Um, I'm here in Iconium now, and uh, people, have, people have tried to stone me. And then um, sort of third episode, um, posted up on YouTube. Um, uh, here in Lystra, uh, it's a lovely place, um, but you never guess what, um, I've, been, I've been stoned and left for dead. I mean, that, that is Paul's experience of ministry. Troubles, hardship, distress. And, and the thing that gives his ministry authenticity is that he's kept going through all that. You know, he's endured. And he's, and he's done it 
uh, in nine ways, with nine qualities. And they're, and they're listed in, in verse 6. Have a look at that. Um, chapter 6, verse 6. Um, he says, in purity, in understanding, in patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, verse 7, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left. Okay, so, um, <clears throat> you'd imagine, you know, um, you and I might have resorted to, to bitterness and self-pity or burnout and stress. But Paul says he's um, carried out his ministry with the with the gospel in both hands. You know, without, it's not that he's got a Kalashnikov and, a, and he's hiding in a tank. You know, but he's got the weapons of offense and, and defense in his hands for going forwards into battle and for, and, and for defending himself. And it's the gospel. It's the message of Jesus Christ and the reconciliation that, that he longs to bring. And then he describes how he's done it. And that comes in verses 8 to 10. Um, verses 8 to 10. Um, and he's done it in the face of both praise and blame. Um, verses 8 to 10. So outwardly, it looks it looks desperate. Um, he looks like a desperate person. So he's dying and he's sorrowful and he's beaten and he's poor. And um, uh, you remember the verse that we were singing? You know, outwardly, he's been wasting away. But inwardly, he's being renewed day by day. And uh, he's joyful and he's making people rich. And, and he knows that he possesses everything because he's got that treasure in heaven, which, which is what really matters. And then his riches beyond his wildest dreams. And, and sometimes ministry will, on the outside, it will look quite desperate. And we, um, and, and we, we feel sometimes like we're, um, we're battered and bruised. And sometimes like we're not, we're not even going to, we're going to make it. Or we're just going to make it, maybe. We've got to tell. <laughs> so have a look at this quote. Um, it was, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a quote from someone called Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he was an apparently successful um, preacher in London about 150 years ago. But this is what he says. And th this is the feeling that we sometimes get of desperation. He said, all the way to heaven, we shall only get there by the skin of our teeth. By the skin of our teeth. We shall not go to heaven sailing along with sails swelling to the breeze, but we shall proceed full often with sails rent to ribbons, that's torn, so torn to ribbons, with masts creaking, and the ships at work, both by, both by night and day. We shall reach the city at the shutting of the gate, but not an hour before. See, he's, he's, just, he's only just going to make it. And there's a desperation about ministry sometimes, but... But by God's mercy and his grace, it keeps going, it endures. So um, last weekend, I had the privilege of um, having um, dinner with some friends. Uh, we went to theological college, we went to, to Vicar Factory back in 2000. So what, 21 years ago, it's quite a while ago. And um, uh, there were four couples, uh, we'd all gone into ministry and been in ministry for, for 20 years and and okay I mean we looked <laughs> we looked a little bit haggard um it's true but and, and some of the guys there had been through really really terrible suffering with their families and faced massive opposition and all kinds of claims against them and um uh, and all kinds of persecution but the point was that by God's mercy and grace we were still in the fight praise God you know we were, we, we were still going <clears throat> 
And that's Paul's point, which is the messenger of the cross is marked by the cross. You know, true Christian ministry is marked out by suffering. And, and somehow, by God's power, full often with the sails torn to ribbons, you know, as, as Spurgeon would say, somehow it keeps going. So um, open wide your heart to it. You know, no, no width restrictions. You know what it's like in Minnesota, you drive around all kinds of width restrictions. And Paul's saying the opposite. Open your hearts. Um, don't restrict them. Um, love this kind of ministry. And um, that's the point in verses um, 11 to 13. So these verses that we read at the beginning, verses 11 to 13 of chapter 6. Open wide your heart to a ministry like this. And this is what Paul writes to the, to the Corinthian church. Um, how do we do that? Well, first of all, in what we're grateful for. So um, think back to some of the times in, in, your, in your Christian life, maybe when you first became a Christian, if, if you're aware of when that was. Uh, I, I first became a Christian when I was a young teenager, maybe about 13. And uh, I was in a field, as you are, in the, um, in the Isle of Wight um, uh, on a camp. And, um, and I was given a booklet called Journey Into Life. It was a, a booklet a little bit like this one. Um, I found that since it was, it was one of the, uh, it's, it's still in print, it's one of the most widely used um, sort of evangelistic books that's ever been produced. And I was given this booklet called Journey Into Life, just 16 pages long. And I was taken through this booklet by a guy called Roland Smith. I, I, he worked in a jam factory. That's all I can remember about him. But the, the point is this, that in that booklet, Journey to Life, there were basically um, verses from the book of Romans. Um, you know, it says at one point, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it says there is no one righteous, um, not even one. And... Um, as a young teenager, I knew um, I wasn't quite as nice as I wanted to be, um, and I thought God could help me with that. But I had I had no idea at that point that the problem was as serious um, was as serious as all that. That I'd actually um, I'd rejected and I'd repelled against the against my Maker, against the God uh, to whom I owed everything. Um, and it was the Apostle Paul and things that he'd written that helped me see that. Or I was talking with someone last night, um, I, was, I was around at dinner, and they told me that as a student they first really understood the cross through what Paul had written in um, Romans chapter 3. So as a student they'd read these words, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And that was the first time for him that he had understood what the, what the gospel was all about. And the point is that 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 was what Paul had written, um, which is uh, which for him was enormously important in helping um, helping him understand the gospel. So um, open wide your heart, you know. Be be thankful that that the people who first explained to us what it meant to be a Christian probably relied on on the Apostle Paul, and I don't want to ever forget the debt of gratitude that I owe that person. You know, Paul wrote the, uh, the book of Romans, he wrote many of his other letters after he persevered for years in Christian ministry. And so we want to treasure, we want to open wide our hearts to the things that he said. You know, and we want to read them in our quiet times, we want to preach them in our church, we want to give thanks to God for the ways that we've grown 
through the hardships that he faced and 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 the things that he wrote as, as a result praise god for that and in, enjoy the things that he recorded for us but that's not all you know um, because we can respond in in in, in what we're grateful for like that but we can also respond in what we're committed to so whether you're um, a small group leader whether you're maybe a serving team member or, or maybe just somebody who's trying to invite a colleague along to the to the carol services that's fantastic if 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 you're doing that perseverance whatever the circumstances you know integrity whatever the pressure contentment uh, whatever the outcome Paul says this is authentic Christian ministry. You know, this is what it looks like. It, it's not easy, but it is right because it looks like Jesus and we want to open our hearts to a ministry like that. So that was the first thing, getting in the way of heartfelt reconciliation. Yeah, the, 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 the way that ministry appears. But there's a second issue, and that gives us our second point from... Chapter 6, verse 14 to chapter 7, verse 2. And we're calling it this. Uh, you'll see it up on the screen again. A lifestyle that needs to be consistent. Uh, more briefly, a lifestyle that needs to be consistent. Have a look down at that section. It's down there on page 1162 in the right-hand column. And it seems like such a change of direction from chapter 6, verse 14. That some people think this is a, a part of another letter that's sort of been plonked in the middle of 2 Corinthians. Um, I, don't, I don't think we have to conclude that, but um, have a look down at that section and, and you'll notice that at the end of it is Paul's call to love. You see how it ends in chapter 7 verse 2, make room for us in your hearts. He's still talking about heartfelt reconciliation, but he's saying that it needs to work all the way down to our lifestyles. Um, so let's go to the beginning of that section, chapter 6 verse 14. This is how it begins. Um, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Yoked together. For, for townies like most of us, that means being joined together by a piece of wood, like the two cows that you can see on the screen. So sort of one, uh, they both end up going in the same direction and one can sort of lead the other in a particular direction. I, I had to look that up. You'd never guess that I came from it. From a family of cow farmers, because <laughs> it means to be a complete disgrace. But that's what it means to be yoked together. And it may be that you've come across this verse, uh, uh, and uh, you're aware that it's been particularly applied to Christians marrying non-Christians. Um, now, um, it is true, isn't it, that if you go into marriage with someone who isn't a Christian, that there are important parts of the Bible that, that you're putting to one side and, and, and that is not something that you want to do in your life at all. So um, Ephesians chapter 5, how, how can you go into marriage with a non-Christian and then submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? That's what Ephesians 5 tells married couples to do. Um, or how can you be married to a non-Christian if you're a Christian? Um, and, and then read 1 Peter 3, uh, and um, and it tells you to be heirs together of the gracious gift of life. How how can you do that? Um, I don't know. If if you go into a permanent relationship together, sharing a bed, but but not your faith, 
then you're saying something there about your marriage, aren't you? Um, that you're not going to share the, the, the deepest things together. That your marriage, I, I think by definition, is going to be shallow. But the fact stands that in, in 2 Corinthians, there's no mention here of marriage uh, specifically. And I, I think the danger is that maybe those of us who are, are single or those of us who, who are Christians and who've married other Christians could feel uh, a little bit smug and, and, and self-satisfied when we read these words. And I think actually Paul is talking about something much more general in verse 14, although it may, it may um, apply to marriage, that may be legitimate. But I think Paul's saying something like this. Don't be so involved with an unbeliever that your life is taken down their track. Yeah? Don't be so involved with an unbeliever that your life is taken down their track. And, and, and it can creep up on you very slowly. Because as Paul goes on to say in verses 14 and 16, some things just don't mix. Okay, some things don't mix. Um, so I caused uh, a bit of a controversy at, at small groups the other week uh, for the small groups that meet here in church on a Tuesday night. And you'd be welcome to join one of those. I caused a bit of a controversy when I was left in charge of the pizza order. I don't know who, who left me in charge of that. Um, and um, uh, what I did was I ordered a, a Hawaiian pizza. I mean, schoolboy error. I, I admit that now. And um, it turns out that there are some people at church who believe that pizza and pineapple just don't mix. Okay, Hawaiian pizzas, illegitimate. Um, 2018, I read, uh, the president of Iceland tried to ban pineapple on pizza. Um, a lot of people think those two things just don't belong together. Some things don't mix. And nor, says Paul uh, in this part of 2 Corinthians, um, nor to right things and wrong things. They just don't mix. So um, have a look down at verse 14. And it's a picture of either being right with God or wrong with God. See, Paul's saying these things, these two things don't mix. Don't be so involved with an unbeliever that your life is taken down a wrong track. Or it says Christians have come out of darkness, out of ignorance and, and sin. Or verse 15, we've been transferred from Belial, that's the name for the devil, to, to belong to Jesus. Now don't be yoked with someone so that you move out of the light. You know, that's, that's just not a direction that you want to go in. There's too much at stake. Some things don't mix this, Paul. And then he says, and your identity as a Christian is like nothing else. So um, second part of verse 16, second part of verse 16, who are we as Christians um, here this afternoon? Uh, we're the temple of the living God, temple of the living God. That's why you don't tie your life to unbelievers. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a wonderful and important thing based on the promises of God in Leviticus 26, that's what um, Paul's quoting here. I will live with them and walk among them. Look at those words and realise that's who we are. God lives among us. Incredible thing. I, I mean, I hope I can say this reverently, but um, but the Lord God, um, our maker, the creator of the universe, is walking around Trinity Church Islington. And our identity is just like nothing else on earth. Um, well, perhaps you're not that familiar with temples, but uh, I guess most of us, at some stage in our lives, have been part of our family. 
and and Paul says here we're part of the family of God that's an incredible privilege and it's based on some words there from 2 Samuel they come in verse 18 um, and this is what God says there I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters says the Lord Almighty you know you can hear those words this afternoon and you can know that whatever family you grew up in these words apply to you and um you know, dear friends, this is God's promise to you. God says that he will be your father. And, and this is where you belong. You've got a family to belong to. Um, do you believe those promises? Do you believe them? Well, then listen again to, to Paul's appeal in chapter 7, verse 1. This is what he says. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends... Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. And, and in the week ahead, heartfelt re reconciliation may mean taking on a, a sacrificial ministry. Uh, and maybe that's the case. We're going to look we're going to look weak and, and battered as we take on a, a new ministry. But it will definitely mean that we want to take on a distinctive lifestyle and all of us we need to hear this appeal and we need to we need to heed it we need to we need to listen to it and we need to feel the challenge of it because there are all kinds of thoughts and habits and people who will just very gently lead us the wrong way just turn us off the path so imperceptibly you know just a couple of degrees off course but further down the line we're going to realize um, that we've traveled a long way off the path and I don't know what it is for you. I mean, the command here is very, is very general. Maybe ask yourself this question. Uh, if there was one thing that was in danger of stopping me from being a Christian, there's just one thing, what would it be? Um, maybe it's your career where you could just, um, you could just take your way. Um, maybe uh, it's the kind of career where you could easily end up working weekends and then you could sort of fall out of contact with your church and then, you didn't have time to read the Bible and, and, and pray. It just gently lead you away from being a Christian. Um, maybe uh, it's that constant criticism of Christians in your head. And maybe just more and more you're finding Christian people irritating. And, um, and, and, you, um, uh, and, and that's going to lead you away from, from other Christians. And, uh, and, and eventually, you know, you, you're going to want nothing to do with them. Or maybe there's someone you're hanging out with, um, you know, he's just drip feeding uh, things that that aren't true, and and because it's so repetitive and it's so long time, you just start to believe them. Um, there are those and many other ways that we can just gently be led astray. Make room in your heart, says Paul. Um, you know, Jesus died to reconcile you with God. That's the heart of it all. Chapter 5, verse 21, it's true. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And, and God says that grace is free, available. Come back to me and, and come back to, to the apostle, says, um, says God. Grace is free, available. Be reconciled. Um, I died to make that possible. But as you take on board that reconciliation, so 
Open your heart to a weak looking ministry. Um, that's that's part of being a Christian. It's hard, you know, but it is good because it's like Jesus, you know, it's it's part of being Christ-like. So open your heart and take on a distinctive looking lifestyle, whatever that means for you, uh, because you're you're God's temple, you're God's family. Um, You belong to me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm walking among you, says God. And so come back on course, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm longing for you uh, to return to me and, and enjoy the reconciliation this week. You know, the heartfelt reconciliation that Jesus died in order to give you. Why don't we pray as we finish? Let's pray. Oh, Father God, thank you that Jesus um, died for us. He laid down his life for us uh, in history, in flesh and blood, uh, that he... Um, that, that, that he went to the cross so that all of his good deeds could be counted as ours, all of his perfection uh, could be uh, credited to our account and all the things that we've done wrong can be placed on him. And so I pray, Father, that as we, um, as we commit to that um, reconciliation with you, uh, so we would be grateful for, we would start to mirror the kind of sacrificial ministry the Apostle Paul has. And I pray as a result, Father, our life starts with begin to change please um, show us father where we need to come back to you where we're being in danger of being led astray and uh, we ask you in jesus name amen